The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. I once knew a man who was a, an out-of-the-ordinary person. He was a person who was well-educated. He was a person of authority. He was also remarkably generous. He was a very humble man. and a man who was always going the extra mile, so to speak. He was also very misunderstood. People envied him. People rejected him. They were really unkind to him. His own family resented his generosity. He was much criticized. I remember one day a retired priest who had seen a lot came up to him and said, you know, God must have something very special in mind for you because you have suffered so much. A bishop once had an audience with Pope Paul VI. He went into him and he said, You know, you're well named, Paul. 
because you've suffered so much. And the Pope said to him, well, you know, my day ends around midnight. And I go into my room and open my mail. And in almost every single letter, there's a thorn. There are certain people who suffer that way and who are, in a very strange way, blessed. I suppose this gospel is as well-known and as well-liked as any gospel. The Beatitudes of St. Matthew. Not so much St. Luke, because St. Luke has four Beatitudes and then four woes. Woe to you. But St. Matthew has eight Beatitudes. Our Lord begins by taking them up onto a mountain. God is going to appear. God is going to speak. You and I are on a mountain now, as God speaks to us. And the disciples come, and he sits down, all rabbis taught sitting, and he begins to teach. Now these eight Beatitudes are all familiar to us, as I said. I don't know why they are so popular because they're all suggesting things that most of us go out of our way to avoid. Uh, And certainly we'll do our best, if we have to endure them, to mitigate the pain if possible. But each one of them in some way speaks about an essential element in our life if we are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And each one of them speaks of a cross, some pain that will accompany it in the process of our becoming a disciple. Most of them aren't really understood very well. For instance, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? Those who have emptied themselves of everything that is not God. Those who are so completely detached from the things of this world that they are open to the coming of God into their lives. And it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, here and yet to come. Because insofar as we are empty of everything that is not God, to that extent we are in the kingdom of heaven. God is able to come to us. The more we are filled with self, the less open we are to the kingdom of heaven. Then we have blessed are they who mourn. Mourning is a painful thing. What does he really mean? He's not speaking of the ordinary mourning over death, although that might be some element of it. He's speaking of mourning for sin, sorrow for sin. There's a mass in the Missal, for the forgiveness of sins, in which we pray for the gift of tears. How often does anyone pray for the gift of tears? How often do we really want to mourn for our sins? How often do we want to experience that kind of sorrow? More often than not, we are trying to, in some way, 
dull the pain of our own weakness. And then, blessed are the meek. This is a strange one, isn't it? Meekness. For many people in our world, the opposite of meekness is strength. But that's completely false, really. Only the strong can be meek. The weak and the cowardly cannot. Meekness demands courage. It demands great humility. Humility demands courage. Meekness means, in fact, that we have the ability to experience the presence of God in everything that we do. And we always realize ourselves as being nothing except for him. Here again, as I said, most people don't even understand the concept of true meekness, of that sort of love, of that sort of humility. But as I said, only the courageous are capable of it. And then, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I think we would all like to think that we do that, don't we? But then again, do we really hunger and thirst for holiness? Not too much. Our desire for holiness is somewhat mitigated. Again, the price is too high. The cross is at the center of that. The merciful, we agree with mercy, don't we? Except that mercy, too, demands great courage. And most people uh, are afraid of that reality. I want mercy, but to actually be merciful, there again, we think it's too much. The clean of heart, what does it really mean? Does it mean chastity? Oh, yes, it does. But it also means a purity of will. A purity of love. A heroism that again demands an emptiness and demands a giving that brings with it a great deal of pain. And so on. Peacemakers. What does it take to be a peacemaker? Again, great humility. More often than not, we are trying to somehow enhance our own self-image. And peacemakers cannot do that. Peacemakers always have to be the ones who are nothings again, who are empty. And finally, those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness and those who are insulted and persecuted falsely because of their love of the Lord, because of me, he says. Your reward will be great in heaven. All of these things promise something that is yet to come, but they also promise something that is here, that is with us now. The great promise immediately, of course, is the church. She is the kingdom of heaven on earth. You and I are the ones who experience her. We experience that joy and that beauty here and now. And the Lord then comes to us with the great gift of himself. Heaven is the Lord. We have come here, we have come to the mountain to be with the Lord. And these things make it possible. To the extent that we can actualize every one of these eight Beatitudes, to that extent we will be radically different people. But more often than not, 
we will not want to take the risk. We won't want to have to endure uh, the process. We won't want to have to experience uh, the journey. But you and I have known people who have those rare people who just seem different, who just seem out of the ordinary, who seem to demand respect without ever asking for it. So if you want a good examination of conscience today, I would suggest we all go home and read through these eight Beatitudes. Speak of them within our families even. To see what really needs to take place in us to actualize the reality of this blessedness. Right now we go on to celebrate the sacrifice of the Mass. So we go into this great event and we go into it as people who are asking for a radical change of heart. Who are asking the Lord to give us the strength to accept blessedness. Who will allow us to empty ourselves to such an extent that all we have left is him. And we can ask for nothing more. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by the blood of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For the church throughout the world, that her members will always experience the humility and the meekness necessary for the kingdom of God, for the church suffering, the church persecuted, the church in our own country, we pray to the Lord. Lord For all nations of the world, that they may come to know Jesus Christ and his church, may come to know the blessedness of that grace, we pray to the Lord. For all those who are sick and suffering, those who are lonely or frustrated or confused, that they may know that they are united to the Lord in their suffering and are, and are blessed in that suffering. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have lost their faith, we pray to the Lord. For greater respect for human life, and this month in particular, for life in the womb, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, those young men and women will respond to the call of God to empty themselves for the sake of the kingdom. For a greater reverence for the prophetic nature of marriage and the single life, we pray to the Lord. Lord for our administrator, our new bishop, whomever he may be, our priests, deacons, seminarians, and the American hierarchy, they above all will be willing to uh, sacrifice all things for the sake of the kingdom of God and to endure all things for the sake of that kingdom, we pray to the Lord. Lord, 
for the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed And for all of us here, that our lives will reflect the blessedness of the kingdom of God here on earth, we may be willing to empty ourselves for the sake of that kingdom. We pray to the Lord. Lord, For all those who traveled this week to the march in Washington, that their efforts will be successful in the protection of human life, we pray to the Lord. We now join our prayers to those of the Mother of the Lord as we sing. Mm-hmm.